0: Hi, I'm Bethany Godso, the Associate Vice President for Career and Leadership Development at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and each member of our community has an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy.
1: Hello, and welcome to All in a Day's Work, the NYU Wasserman Center's career podcast. I'm Carrie Pannoni, your host for this episode, and today we're talking to Michael Hengerer. Thank you for being here, Michael.
2: Pleasure to be here.
1: Michael, can you walk me through your experiences at NYU and what type of work you've been doing since graduation?
2: I graduated NYU in 2016. Um, I went to the Gallatin School of Individualized Study and my concentration was in law and society. But frankly, a lot of the time I spent at NYU, my attentions were focused on student activities and leadership, student government specifically. So I, I became part of the Student Senate by being Gallatin's school representative in my sophomore year. And then junior and senior year, I was involved in the leadership of the students in it. When I first graduated the summer of 2016, I didn't have a job. I spent pretty much all day, every day, looking for a job. And then I ended up in September of 2016 in a job in advertising sales. That job lasted for about six months, and I realized pretty soon into it that it was not the right role for me. But fortunately, I was connected through someone that I had met at NYU to a role in learning and development at an investment bank. So I ended up in that role for three and a half years, and I am now at law school.
1: So I know when you were at NYU, you devoted a lot of energy to student leadership at the university. What impact did that have when you graduated and started your professional career?
2: I would say the benefit I got after graduation was twofold. First was I met a lot of people and developed a really strong network. And um, that helped me both get my first job and my second job out of college. And then down the road, I leaned on those relationships as mentors and they helped advise me as I was thinking about changing career paths. And then eventually as I was thinking about applying to law school, So the first benefit was the network. The second was the professional skills that I developed. First, just learning interpersonal communication skills. Being in something like student government or a student leadership position is a great opportunity to develop communication skills and also just facilitating meetings. I was really surprised when I got to my first job that I had a lot more experience than the other people who I was working with at uh, putting together agendas, leading meetings, recapping, taking notes, all of these things I had learned before I even graduated. So I felt like I was already a step ahead when I entered the f- workforce.
1: I'm curious, in that first job, what did you learn about yourself and and what did you discover about what you want from a workplace? <laughs>
2: Well, Carrie, I think I actually learned a little bit more about what I didn't want from a workplace. I was anxious to start working. And so I went into this first job and convinced myself that the environment of the workplace and the brand that I was working for would be enough to make me interested in staying at that job. And secondarily, I thought it, it was a sales role. And so I thought the ability to earn a lot of money might also be enticing and might make me you know, feel like it was a, a valuable job. I learned really quickly that it's not just about the environment. It's not just about the brand. It's not just about money. Those things are all very important, but they're not everything. You have to actually enjoy the work that you're doing. That was my issue. I liked the people that I was working with. I liked the product I was working with. I liked the possibility of earning a lot of money through commissions, but I wasn't enjoying the work.
1: I want to go back to one of the first things you talked about, Michael, which was the network that you built at NYU. I know you landed an interview because of a connection you made while you were a student. Can you talk a little bit more about how you were able to leverage that connection and what came of it throughout the process?
2: I think the first thing was just to put myself out there. I told the people in my network what I was looking for and I told them that I wasn't too happy in my current job, why I wasn't happy in my current job, and what I thought I wanted to do for the next step. I think what underlies the ability to leverage your network is having a strong and well-maintained network. It's never great to reach out to someone after three or four years of not talking to them and ask for a favor. And so I was able to leverage my network to get this job interview because I was keeping people updated about what I was doing, what I wanted to do. And actually, one of the connections I made at NYU reached out to me proactively because he knew that I was on the market looking for something new. So I think it's really important to keep people updated and stay in touch, even if that's just sending a quick email of what you're doing now. It may sometimes will feel a little bit awkward to just say, hey, here's what I'm up to. But you'll find that people actually really enjoy that.
1: With that interview you got from that connection, Michael, how did it move forward? What was the outcome of that?
2: Yeah, so that first interview that I had, it, it, wasn't, it didn't go well, to be honest. I didn't get the job, but nonetheless, it was actually a really great experience I had the opportunity to get a lot of really tangible feedback because the hiring manager connected with the person in my network and and told him what I had done wrong. So we sat down and at first it was a little bit difficult to hear from someone so directly what I was doing wrong in an interview, but reflecting back on it, it was an amazing opportunity. How frequently can you say that you hear from someone who's interviewing you exactly what you did wrong and what would have made you a better candidate? So I took that feedback. I wrote down every single note and I practiced so many times keeping all of those bits of feedback in mind. And now even four years later, every interview I go into, I think about what went wrong that first interview and how I can be better at this time.
0: We'll be right back to our episode after this quick tip from Sarah Rosenthal. The applicant tracking system, or ATS, is a type of software used by most HR professionals. Almost all large companies use a type of ATS, but it's becoming more and more common for midsize and even smaller companies as well. These programs allow companies to create algorithms that can then process applications quickly So, understanding what a company is looking for and personalizing your resume cover letter and any other application materials is crucial to being a competitive applicant job descriptions are a great place to start for tailoring your application when updating your resume and cover letter for each position you'll want to use keywords that match the company's since many ATS algorithms are set to scan for specific keywords in addition to things like school major graduation year and skills Formatting is also important for the ATS. So while it can be tempting to load your resume with graphics, tables, or atypical headers such as what I've done instead of experience, remember that this may not be a good fit. Keeping a clean format with your experience listed in reverse chronological order will increase your chances of success with the ATS. Lastly, always remember that after your application goes through the ATS, A hiring manager will also be reviewing it, so you want your documents to stand out with strong content that is personalized to the company. Happy job hunting! And now, back to the episode.
1: So, Michael, after having that interview and moving forward, I know that you accepted an offer and started working at a large investment bank. What did you learn about yourself and what you want for your career as you went through that next role?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So working in that second job that I had, I was there for just over three years. It was an amazing experience. I had a really great time there. I think one of the highlights, I would say, is connecting with the colleagues that I had there. There was a really great environment, both on my team and at the firm more broadly. And it was great to make connections and to expand my network beyond the network that I had from NYU. I learned a lot in that role. I honed skills that I already had and developed new skills that I never knew I would be good at. For example, Before starting that job, I never really played with Excel. Maybe, you know, once or twice I opened a spreadsheet, but that was the extent of it. In that role, I had to manage our team's budget. So I became very quickly acquainted with Excel. And I learned so much. And I realized that I was actually, you know, quite analytical and good with data. So it was a skill that I had never worked on. But I realized I was good at it and also that I enjoyed working with data and Excel and numbers. But I also learned that sometimes there are tasks that you can enjoy, but those individual tasks do not necessarily mean that you're in the right career. So that's kind of what I took away from that role. It was that I was doing, you know, small tasks that I enjoyed and that I thought I was good at. But at the end of the day, the, the overall career path was not what I wanted.
1: For a lot of people, it can definitely be hard to look for something new or consider what they want to do next while they're also content right, with the work that they're doing and the people that they work with. What made you decide it was time to move on and look towards law school?
2: Yeah, Carrie, it was a really hard decision to leave that role and to move on to law school. Law school was something that had been in my mind for quite a while, but at the same time, as you said, I became really content and happy even with the work I was doing. But as a whole, I just got this feeling that it was not what I wanted to do long-term. I realized it was just not the way that my mind works you know, looking around at my colleagues, I would realize that they approached situations differently than I did. I took some time and actually did some free online classes in legal related fields and realized that that was the way that my brain worked. That was how my mind operated. That was, you know, the law was the type of work that I wanted to be doing.
1: So once you knew that was the right decision, what was the application process like for graduate school? And also, how did you balance that preparing for tests, submitting all the applications while also having what sounds like a pretty demanding, you know, full-time position?
2: The only way I got through it was being very intentional and organized about it. So at the very beginning of the process, I sketched out a plan, an entire roadmap. It actually, it was a, I think, year and a half to two year process for me. And so I, I put out on a schedule, all of the milestones and all of the individual tasks that I would need to accomplish in order to reach my goal. And I did it intentionally so that I had extra time as a buffer. So if I had accomplished everything according to schedule, I would have applied well before I needed to. And so it was good to have some extra time baked into my schedule and also just to have a document and a schedule and a to-do list and a, a selection of milestones that I could refer back to that kept me on track.
1: I'm wondering if, as you started preparing applications, did you also weigh the benefits of going to law school and what the costs would be in the short term and long term?
2: I certainly did, Kerry. Um, Law school is no small investment of either time or money. And so while I knew I wanted to go to law school, it was something that I knew I couldn't just jump into. So I did at the beginning of the process and then throughout, I sat down and I figured out the costs, both in terms of tuition and living expenses of the three years that I'll be here in school. But also I I just thought about the opportunity costs of, you know, not being in the workforce for three years and not advancing in my career. And I weighed that against what I knew was the typical starting salary for someone graduating law school. And for me, it ended up being worth it, but it definitely was something that I had to be really methodical about and think very critically about. And the other thing I'll say is, it was important for me to just talk to other people about this, friends and family, and also people who went to law school. And also for me, you know, a financial advisor to so to the extent that one would be able to i think it would be really important to talk to someone who who has a lot of background information on these types of decisions that can that can help provide advice
1: thank you for sharing that michael i think it's really important that people understand not just the time and the energy that you know can go into returning to school but the costs associated with it is certainly an important consideration And all of that hard work paid off, you're now well into your first semester at law school. What's been the most challenging part of going from the workplace and returning to school?
2: I would say the hardest thing about being back in school is not being able to shut it off. You know, in the workplace, even when you had a demanding job or if you were in a really busy time, at the end of the day, you could always turn off your computer and leave. Or on the weekends, you know, you had two entire days to just relax and do things that you enjoyed. And now I feel anxious when I'm not studying because really any hour of the day that I'm awake, I could be studying and I could be preparing for exams. I think having worked for four years almost before coming to law school prepared me to structure my time and prepared me to be able to manage the the vast amount of work that I have. So it's not that I'm unable to manage, it's really the the emotional or mental tax of of feeling like you always should be doing some sort of work.
1: For many of us, when we're entering into a new job or returning to school, as you have done most recently, we can often come up against struggles with imposter syndrome I'm curious if you've ever encountered that, whether your academic or your professional experiences. And if so, what have you done to cope with it? What advice would you give to our audience?
2: Yeah, I would say that I've struggled with imposter syndrome actually pretty much every time I come into a new field, whether that's a new job or, you know, most recently coming into law school. I think it's important for us to recognize it and to label it when I get to the place where I hesitate to say something. You know, if it was professionally, if I didn't make a comment in a meeting because I thought someone else already knew that or someone already had the idea that I was thinking. And then a little while down the road, either in the same meeting or a few weeks later, someone came up with that idea that I had suppressed and it was suddenly a great idea. That's when I recognized that I was feeling imposter syndrome because in that moment, I thought everyone else is smarter than me. In law school, it's the same thing. You know, in class, when you have a thought about something that the professor is saying, but you don't raise your hand, but then someone else says it, and the professor commends them for having such an insightful thought or comment. Again, that's when you know that you're struggling with imposter syndrome. As much as you can, just keep telling yourself that, you know, everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time in the morning. And especially in the workforce, a lot of things are done a certain way just because they've always been done that way. And so if you have a new thought or idea about something, it's not that you were wrong. It could just be, you know, that no one thought of that before.
1: Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you, Carrie. This has been All in a Day's Work with your episode host, Carrie Panoni, and guest Michael
0: Hengerer. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log onto our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Carrie Pannoni with episode guest, Michael Hengerer. We're produced by Miriam Miller and Lily Smith, edited by Lily Smith, and created with support from Nia Beresford, Danielle Crystal, Dana Rosa, Haley Garifalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, and Sarah Rosenthal. That's all in a day's work.